The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I don't do the ESL anymore. Um, I'm involved in the retreat center, <clears throat> managing the kitchen over there. Well, I have to start out um, apologizing because I had some notes. I had a talk, and this is the last event in a long day, and I got to my car, I got here, and no notes. So anyway, <laughs> so maybe this will be more of a discussion, I hope. Uh, what I was going to talk about was um, the topic of what's called sometimes praise and blame or approval and disapproval. And uh, this occurs in the teachings in a, in a list called the Eight Worldly Winds, which is two pairs of things. There's gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and ill repute. That's sometimes translated as high and low status. And just pleasure and pain. And so these are like, you know, the winds of how we interpret things that are happening to us as being uh, what we wanted and what we didn't want. And the sutta begins that the world is wrapped around, spinning around these eight worldly winds. Meaning this is, people are just whipped around by things they like and things they don't like. So I wanted to focus especially on um, the praise and blame or approval and disapproval pair this evening. Because I feel like that's really, when we get to looking at that, it really goes to the heart of several of the important teachings, especially it's a way we can begin to understand how we construct the self. You know, there's a teaching in Buddhism that we need to let go of um, this activity of selfing, of eyeing and meing and mining in order to begin to release our suffering. But it doesn't mean that we don't exist. We have a healthy sense of functioning and being our, you know, being ourselves in a in an ordinary way. But what is it when we're trying to understand what is it that what's the relationship between the kind of selfing that's problematic and suffering? I think looking at praise and blame or approval and disapproval is a really good doorway to that. So um, it's quite interesting. What is this? What is this? receiving, let's talk about receiving first of all, there are also some teachings on expressing receiving praise and blame if you think about it in the Buddhist analysis of our experience, it's, you know somebody says something sound waves hit our ear you know, that's not what's pleasant or unpleasant then we turn around and we we hear the words and we hear the language and immediately we start attributing, maybe they even use the you word, you know, you idiot or something. And then it's, it's obviously they're talking about us and we think, oh dear. And then from that perception that they're talking about, that they're saying something negative and it's about us, it reverberates all these things that we conclude based on our sense of ourselves, our sense of what, where our well-being lies, right? Our sense of who's the authority in our world. Who do we give authority to in our world to give us the approval and disapproval, praise or blame like that? And so this reverberation starts in our minds. And then for a lot of people, it's just then we completely lose touch with our own judgment, our own sense of what's going on. There's this kind of panic about you know, being approved or disapproved by these other people. And 
of course then I forgot in the middle of all that is this feeling tone where we evaluate everything that comes in as either pleasant or unpleasant or neither and that's a very strong built in basic fundamental feeling sense so praise is usually pleasant although sometimes I've experienced it as a little it's a little pleasant and then kind of unpleasant maybe some of you have that if it's over the top somehow or blame comes in or disapproval comes in and it's unpleasant, right? And those things, those qualities make things very sticky. And out of repeated incidents of praise and blame, these things wind up sticking and they wind up kind of accumulating buckets in our mind of our beliefs about ourselves, our notions about ourselves, our beliefs about other people and kind of how the world works and how the world is. And then... It goes so fast when praise and blame comes in. It goes right to the heart of, oh, they're talking about me and something about myself and who I am. And then it immediately connects with our whole deep survival instinct. You know, it could be something completely trivial. But how does it get so such a huge effect on us? It goes through this constructed notion of me as if there's something permanently me that they could be talking about somehow. So this sutta that talks about this makes the point that ordinary, unenlightened, run-of-the-mill people experience all these winds, including praise and blame, and the most highly enlightened people also experience these things. But the difference is that the, the more enlightened people see them as inconstant, um, see it as stressful to grab onto it. They know instinctively that it's stressful to grab onto this and make much of it. But the uninstructed, un, uninstructed person doesn't know that and they believe it and take it in right away and start to act on it. So um, I think the most difficult thing about this is that then it this habit of relying on other people's praise and blame, it becomes like an addiction around the pleasantness of praise and the unpleasantness of the fear of the unpleasantness of blame. So that um, it really warp, it disconnects us from our own experience. We stop, we stop trusting our own experience, you know, and we start just looking to other people for validation all the time or for praise, you know, for what we do. So a person who wants to say has some, you know, a person who has a real interest in something like, I don't know, music or something, that can't be based on praise and blame. You know, uh, That's not going to drive all the hours that you need to spend learning to play a musical instrument or something. You really have to have a much more personal and objective relationship with what you're doing. You have to be actually interested in what you're doing, not doing it for the sake of other people's opinion. So... Um, So this is what some of what we can really start to work with. By the time you've gotten through school, you know, maybe many of us have gone clear through college or more school like that, you've really gotten a lot of evaluation (laughs) of of yourself from other people. And how do you keep balanced? How do you stay in touch with what's really important to you? You know, the idea that this is your life, this is your one precious life and what is important to you how do you learn what's important to you without letting other people's opinions simply swamp what you're what you're making of your life
So um, mindfulness, one of the reasons we practice mindfulness, it reconnects us with our own experience in a way that just has nothing to do with anybody else's opinion. You're the only person in the world who knows exactly what it feels like to be you in the moment and exactly what feelings in your body are evoked by what thoughts and so forth. And no one can judge that. No one can tell you that that's right or wrong. You know, the beauty of mindfulness is just this simple attention to whatever you're feeling. And then the more you open up to your own experience in this way, the more confidence and richness you have in what your own experience is. And then you're more resilient in the face of other people's opinions. Um, And then the experience of a moment of praise or blame coming in and landing is just a fantastic workshop for really understanding these more profound Buddhist teachings on impermanence and on this not-self idea that there isn't some fixed thing that's you that has these fixed attributes. So for one thing, it's so fickle. I mean, someone can like one... Who knows why people are liking something in the moment? You know, it's their whole process that's, that's presenting them. Their opinion is coming out. And so one day they might like it, the next day they might not like it. One person likes it, one person doesn't like it. And, you know, I think there's a lot of this in our society of people just kind of running crazy, f- trying to please everybody, make everybody's opinion, into putting everybody else's opinion first somehow, or fear of disapproval, you know, craving for approval. So um, it's so in- inconstant. It's, it's changing what's coming in. And your own response to it might be different from one time to another. And then it's often in relation to some particular thing that happened. And who knows, anything that happens is such a complex entity. You know, somebody's picked out one little aspect of it that happens to irritate them and they mention that. But it's a complex thing that you did or that you're thinking or whatever it is that they're talking about. They're criticizing sometimes one thing that really isn't a thing. It's a whole complex of stuff that happened. And then the most insidious thing is this attribution of first of all that you are the one who did this thing so for example suppose you um i don't know wrote a suppose you wrote a a letter to some to a friend you know maybe they you try to express something to a friend you wrote a letter they didn't like it for some reason the whole thing, everything that went into it, all of your thoughts that went into it, every moment of how you decided to write this word or that word, all the feelings that were behind you, it's a very complex event doing anything. And then their reaction is a very complex event. And the, the particular chain of causes and conditions that led to you in that moment deciding to make that choice of word or deciding to express it that way is so so complex that there isn't someone you that did that in a very meaningful way that somebody can that you should take that personally as whether they didn't happen to like something about it has anything to do with you as an as a as an entity ongoing and likewise if somebody liked it you know what so you're going to write exactly the same thing from now on because somebody liked it, you know. So it's, it's again, it just shows, points to how complex events are and how complex causality and conditioning is and how complex we all are. 
And then there's still this habit of simply seizing up around an instant of of praise and blame or approval and disapproval. So um, I think it's really interesting to catch in the moment when that happens, if this is an issue that you sometimes experience or struggle with. Just taking an in, an instance, maybe you can bring to mind an instance of where I don't know, let's talk about praise first. Can you think of an instance where you were praised for something? Say it's something that you did like. Let's take an easy instance first. So, somebody praised you for something that you are were actually proud of. Did that ever happen to anybody? <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so at some point, your opinion of what you did and somebody else's opinion of what you did came together and it was positive. So, right... So that's a nice moment, but then what? What then? What? You know, is it so ephemeral? You know, it's like a meeting of minds that that was a pleasant moment. It was a pleasant moment for you and a pleasant moment for them. Fine, but do you take it on then? You know, is it like oh now I have to always do that or you know how often do you replay that thing they said and you know it's just in just noticing that selfing process around that little moment of praise. I don't know if anybody has any... So I'm kind of meandering here without my notes, so if anybody has any comments, please join in any time. Something come to mind around that? Yeah? I mean, it's pleasant, you know. It's not not pleasant, it is pleasant. But can we not get addicted to it or make more of it than it was? Yeah. Have you ever been praised for something that you didn't feel was so praiseworthy? Yeah? <laughs> what was that like? Oh, I guess we should use the mic for the recording. Well, I think I mean, it's, it's always useful to try to put things in context. And so um, if, if, um, if one is actually trying to do something expressive and one knows where one slipped, then, you know, praise is nice, but you know you didn't actually accomplish what you had set out to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's, I guess the thing is that if one takes these things too personally, that's probably not useful. Yeah. But it is good to hear opinions because we do live in a social context. We do, we do. And I want to make that point that we're not, you know, these things happen. And the Buddha has other teachings on on you know, skillful use of praise and blame that I want to get to. So, right. But, uh, yeah, that's the point, is that, you know, you can stay with your own process and clarify your own intention, and you take input, but you use it not to kind of totally capsize your own direction that you're going in, but to, you know, you take it for what it is. And you know that you you have your view of it, they have their view of it, their view of it is necessarily partial, your view of it is... A little more complete, but also partial, because they might see something in your artwork, say, that you didn't, you know, that came, hadn't occurred to you. Yeah. I have a question. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to answer this, but I'm going to try. 
Uh-huh. Uh, so in a learning context, mm-hmm. uh, so if I'm learning something and I have a teacher mm-hmm. that is teaching me something and I need to apply the teaching, yeah. I feel like I am dependent mm-hmm. on him. Yeah. And if I'm doing something right, I am dependent on that praise kind of a thing. Yes. So I feel a strong addiction to that somehow. Uh-huh. How I should reframe that in my, in my mind to still be my entity mm-hmm. and not be so dependent mm-hmm. on his uh, praise. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Well, yeah, that brings up a point about exactly how you hear the praise. So if you're learning something and the teacher says, that's right, you know, you got it right. That's, you've learned something there. And that's good. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good that, yeah, that's, I learned it. That's right. But if the teacher is inclined to say, you know, oh, you're so brilliant. It's you, you're so wonderful. You know, how clever of you. And oh, all making you sort of more self-conscious, you know, about it. And, or if you're inclined to take it that way, inclined to take it as this means that I'm his favorite or I'm a genius or I'm the best ever at this or I'm better than the other people or all the ways that you can take it less objectively not just that you learned what you're learning but that and and yet it also does feed our confidence you know that we're learning something so I wanted to one of the things I wanted to bring out somewhere long ago I read this psychological um steps in psychological development. I don't know where it came from, but it made sense to me at the time. So if you're learning something, say, first you don't know how to do it and somebody does it for you, maybe. And then they show you how to do it and they praise you as you're doing it. And then you do it yourself, but you're sort of praising yourself, like, oh, aren't I clever as I'm doing that? And then finally you just do it. You know, you've learned it and you just do it. And at that point, you're not doing it either for your, to kind of boost your own ego or to boost somebody else's, to stir up somebody else's praise, but it's just something that you know how to do and you're doing it for the satisfaction of the thing itself. You know, like making art because you want to, something you want to communicate or because you think it's beautiful or, you know, something like that that doesn't really have anything to do with what other people might say about it. Yeah. Yes? I'm Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi. Um, yeah, it's interesting you bring this up because, you know, from you talking about that, I think of different time periods of my life about how praise has affected me. And I feel like when I was younger, like when I was you know, 11, 12, whatever else, there were times my family might praise me for something, but then you kind of get that approval addiction mm-hmm. and to the point where that one thing that might have been good actually ends up not being good, but you continue to do it because that's what you kept getting praise for. Yes, you know? exactly. So I, so I feel like I've had, I've, I've dealt with praise in that way, but I've also, I feel nowadays, like when with teaching or whatever else, sometimes I feel like, okay, it helps me gauge, am I on the right track? Was that mm-hmm. okay? You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this was good. You know, so I kind of use it kind of as a, as a navigation, but mm-hmm. I can understand, I can relate to you. And sometimes not so with teaching both other things. If I feel praised then I, I feel a little kind of like, um, as you said, like uncomfortable mm-hmm. with certain things, but you know, kind of like, oh, but I've now found that the times when I feel the boat, the best 
praise is when I'm, if I'm doing something that's not just me, that's helping on something on a bigger level. Yeah. That's bigger than I feel because I feel like it's not me. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's this other, this, this, this other thing. It's not just me, but it's something that's a good effort or so, something yeah. else. Yeah. Right. So it feels, but it's interesting. I've never thought about praise in these different ways until you've mentioned. Yeah. Until you've mentioned it and how it affects how I've, how I receive it differently based on the circumstance or, uh-huh. or what it is. Yeah. It's that being praised for or who it is it's praising, who's yeah. offering the praise. Yeah, so when it, exactly. So when it's an expression of like shared values that this is good, this is something that we all, you know, that's for the common good, it expresses values that we hold in common, and, you know, that's very supportive. And it also keeps you focused on the project in a way. You know, and a different kind of praise is just directed at you in a way that then makes you kind of self-conscious and takes your eye off the work you're actually doing and isn't maybe all that helpful depending on how how you take it, you know, how you take how they phrase it. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I like also your whole thought about approval. Like not, not just are you doing this for praise or are you doing this because is that authentically something you want to do, which is a really nice thought to almost step uh-huh. back from that and see, yeah, to, to look at that and see yeah. like, Authentically, are you doing this or are you doing this for a praise, yeah. like for approval? So. Uh huh. Right. Right. Yeah. I, don't you think it's a little bit danger to be realizing or, or relaying on uh, praise because that will divide people? Because people will go with a group which will agree with them, and we always gonna be. If you are leftist or rightist, you're always going to be with this group because they agree with you and praise you for your beliefs. Yes. And that will divide the, the nation. It divides yes. everybody because that's... Right. You're always going to go with who believes the same thing you believe. Yes. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's a it's seriously dangerous mechanism in... Exactly kind of group think, you know, so that everybody agrees with something and it, you can be disapproved of for disagreeing. It takes a lot of courage sometimes to disagree, you know, or to say something that, that evokes disapproval from people that you've come to identify. Yeah. The way we came up in this world as group people Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's what this practice is helping us, you know. I mean, you can do that, but the world is also, you know, a better place because some people manage to think sort of out of the box and independently and take a fresh look at things and not just not just think according to what gets approval from people around them. So just bringing it back to the practice, I mean, hopefully that's part of what we're strengthening here is our ability to really tune all that out and understand, look fresh for ourselves. You know, it's so easy these days to think politically and just in terms of that you, you know, know what you think about everything because that's your party line. But to really think freshly, these are complex issues that are, there's no simple answer to how to pay for all the things we all want or how to have the kind of life we want. You know, I mean, it's complex. So thinking fresh about all these issues is something that's quite valuable and quite difficult, especially if you never leave some time and space in your life to just simply really feel, get in touch with your heart, get, in, get below that level of chatter 
in your mind that's so driven by imaginary conversations with people and outside of that array of what other people think. What do you really believe about this and on what basis? So that you really understand where you're where your views are coming from, where your heart is involved in it, where, and you just understand what, you know, you can see clearly, why do I think this? Where is this information coming from? How did I form this opinion? It's very interesting to take one of your opinions and trace it back to, you know, oh, this movie and that incident and that, (laughs) that story my uncle told me and whatever it has somehow formed my opinion on this subject. So it's very interesting to get to know yourself. Yeah. Let's just use this for the sake of people who listen. Hi, I'm Layla, and Hi. I just want to thank you for bringing up this topic because mm-hmm. I struggle with, um, in the corporate world, to get beyond the whole praise and um, yeah. blame thing. And I feel like a lot of people are always out there to get the praise of their you know, their seniors and their managers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have observed is that the more enlightened people and sometimes often the more successful people are, you just, they're, they're not paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. The praise thing particularly surprised me. I'm like, oh, you don't really seem to care that everybody's praising you for this. And so that's why the blame thing doesn't hit them that hard either. And they're able to, you know, yeah. kind of, fly past all of that and right. I'm hoping to at least take a step toward that direction and not personalize and focus on, on, on these types of things yeah so, yeah. Um, so yeah thank you for yeah. bringing this yeah it's very helpful to just look when you get it when you get some praise that you agree with I mean either you agree with it or you don't you can first discern that if you don't agree with it what what's that about you know and if you do then why do you need the praise <laughs> you know I mean it's nice to it's nice to have agreement on things but then it's also important to be able to tolerate disagreement if it's really where your values are and what you what you believe right yeah Anybody else want to say anything about praise? Yeah. Trying to remember my talk. (laughs) Yeah, disapproval. Disapproval is the flip side. I love what you said about how the same people who can shake off, seem to shake off the praise, can shake off the disapproval. Because they're focused on something else, you know. They've got their eye on the actual activity that they're doing and on their deeper intentions and values. Yeah, so disapproval, disapproval, and fear of disapproval is very, very painful for a lot of people, certainly. And then this whole way that it builds up some sense of authority outside yourself and we have a lot of even abstract authorities outside ourselves. You know, scientists. Are, I'm, I mean, I'm pro-science. I don't mean that. But, you know, authorities who, I, I don't know, I read something the other day like, dentists have proved that flossing is no longer a good idea or something. And it's like, what? You know, I mean, you can see for yourself whether or not you're getting anything out of your teeth. <laughs> you know, you don't need some statistical authority to tell you that flossing is or isn't a good idea. So that was a silly example, but just the way that people can be so utterly dependent on the medical profession and doctors and how much you can learn for yourself, what actually feels better, 
You know, in our in our marketplace today, there are so many different treatments that you have to pick from. And how can you choose if you haven't developed some ability internally to tell what's working for you? You know, and to learn to experiment and feel for yourself what's going on, what's happening. I don't know what that has to do with disapproval, but just more about uh, not giving away your authority. The authority of your own ability to sense uh, what's going on and to know your own mind and to really see clearly where your views and opinions come from and to really see, you know, yeah. Is it uh, weird to be driven more by disapproval than approval? No, I think it's pretty common because we're pretty wired to, um, you know, avoid the unpleasant. I forget the science behind it, but the the circuitry that is fear and danger oriented is a lot more intense than in most people than the. Yeah, I, I think what for me we're, we're talking about a, approval as being a, a a guidepost of how you're going, maybe in, in the best sense, uh-huh. um, or that maybe some people uh, who are successful don't necessarily live for the approval. I wonder if these driven people, and I ask this because it seems, uh, I, I find myself to be pretty driven. I think some of my friends might, might say that, but I think at, at the end, it's not necessarily an approval process. And I wonder, is it odd for me to be just driven by more appro- uh, disapproval? Meaning that if I'm proposing something new that's out of the box, um, I seem to be more inclined to be focused and sharpened by the by the disapproval, the, the lack of that initial acceptance. Mm-hmm. To be kind of on, on a certain edge where be, before people are realizing something or before people are talking about something. And I, I just wonder if that makes mm-hmm. me weird sometimes because it, it seems to be the, the, the fuel that I, I use. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's fear of disapproval. I, I just haven't really sorted out what it is about that whole mm-hmm. process of being... Mm, I don't know if it's conflict-seeking, if it's being... Mm-hmm. Mm. So you're saying you're sort of energized and driven by it in a way. Indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an authority on psychology, so it doesn't sound weird to me. It sounds, it sounds you know, certainly within, within normal. But uh, it... There's a there's an objective way. If you're designing something, you know, people are going to try to find what's wrong with it because that's their job, you know. The question, the whole question that relates to our Buddhist practice is when do you take it personally and do you suffer from it? You know, so there's objectively that won't work because you need two wings to fly an airplane or something and then there's <laughs> and then there's you idiot, you know, and and that's very different and or it's different in how you hear it and how you take it in. You know, if it if it if it's exciting and interesting to you to collect people's ideas about how your idea won't work, that's just part of the design process. Yeah, that, that's one portion, and the, the other portion is just I don't know if I actually enjoy wearing a black hat sometimes. Uh, enjoy wearing a black hat sometimes. It just seems like I, I find myself, and I'm, I'm trying to rationalize what 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 exactly is that. Really, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and it's not that I'm clinging to it. Yeah. It's just I, I find myself naturally in that space yeah. of, of uh, prodding, of pushing, uh-huh. and um, yeah. I, my wife would agree with that entirely. Yeah, where, <laughs> where you're the one buttons, who's. But it's it's like a, a, I don't know. I haven't. I, I'm. 
Yeah. You know, the, I, I guess the, the question is, you know, in, in this disapproval process, what would be the motivation for it? I'm not necessarily fearful of it or, or yeah. that I'm trying to avoid it. And, but, but by the same token, it's, it's not something where I'm getting uh, some pleasure or happiness. It's just, it seems that I'm just there in the space of d disapproval. So it's just kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I just bring yeah. throw that out there yeah. just abstractly. Yeah. There's a uh, well. I would say good friends. There's a friend of mine who um, who was a successful composer, and it's funny you say that because immediately when something would go out, this that he immediately went to look at the critics and see what everyone he like loved leading like just reading all of the disapprovals of stuff. But I think that's actually kind of what made him tweak things and change to become even better. So I kind of feel like kind of like how approval you're you're on the right track. I also think with disapproval, it's like okay, how can I it's almost like I feel like it's almost like like um, how you can be cracked in order to like become better, or it's like a. I mean, I think again, it's like a guiding post. At least that's. I mean, if you're mm -hmm. always being approved, and I don't think that sometimes you're going to grow. I think sometimes you need some disapproval in order to maybe grow into a in a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he. I, I know that he was um, very much about finding his whatever disapproval, and yeah. I think it just fueled whatever it is that he created next, and he's he's done pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Well, the orientation here in these teachings and in this context is about suffering, mm -hmm. you know. So in what way do we take this on in a way that causes us to suffer? You know, if in a way that the mix of various people's opinions is a, dry, is a creative force for you, that's really not problematic, you know. But the, the issue is when do you, how much do you, fixate around it and fixate your sense of self around it so then you're crushed when the approval dries up or you can't proceed because there's too much disapproval or it could be I mean I'm just in this discussion I was thinking of a I mean somebody who really likes to be a maverick and independent they might love disapproval because oh those idiots they don't understand me and I'm the great genius you know or something like that <laughs> I don't know there's so many dynamics you can imagine around around this but it all has to do with how much are you clinging to it how much are you become reliant on it how much is it taken over your own more holistic ability to see for yourself what's going on and how much is it solidifying your egoic sense of self, you know. So how, if it changed, if if the world simply flipped its opinion of you, <laughs> how much would it hurt? What, in what ways would it affect, you know, what you're doing? So it's just ways of becoming independent. You know, there's a lot of uh, some of the descriptions of Dharma progress as becoming more independent. You know, in your in your sense of your ability to see clearly what's going on and form your own point of view. Each of us is a unique point of view in the universe, and if we just glom together in groups like you were saying, you know, we're really not serving the, the broader purpose of each person really doing their best to see for themselves. Yeah. Yes. You just made me realize this dynamic that I have going on right now. I have a lot of balls in the air, and I've been getting a lot of criticism from different sources. And it's gotten to the point where 
if I need to talk to somebody, I'll brace myself for their criticism because I'm at that yeah, yeah, yeah part point mm. where it's like, uh-huh, right, right. And you don't like this, 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 or this, or this. And why didn't you X, Y, or Z, right? Yeah. And so I get into myself, I get to a roll my eyes part be, before I even hear the criticism. Mm. And it's like, that's, that's not skillful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that doesn't work. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I'm not taking the criticism to heart. But some of the things, it's, if I had a better attitude or a more balanced attitude, maybe not a better attitude, there actually would be some good feedback. But yeah. instead, I'm like, oh, now you're going to tell me the four things that I'm doing wrong right here, aren't you? It's yeah. like, go on. You know, do you uh-huh. want me to give you the list? You know, uh-huh. it's like... Oh, okay. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's not skillful. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, it's hard to stay engaged and and objective, you know, and be able to freshly hear what's being said and take it in on its own merits, you know, and filter it appropriately and understand whether or not you want to do something with it, you know. Yeah, right. Hmm. Well, I just also wanted to um, talk a little about or discuss a little about giving, giving out, expressing praise and blame and approval and disapproval. So there's this sutta that I would read you if I had it where um, I think it's the Buddha speaking that there are four situations where there's something worthy of praise and you don't praise it or worthy of blame and you don't blame it and so forth. And the best of all is the person who, <laughs> the cutting to the chase, the best of all is the wisest of all is the person who gives praise where praise is due and says it, it's qualified nicely, I wish I could remember. They say it, it's true and accurate and given in a you know, kindly and hearable manner and using all the qualities, qualities of right speech. And also, if some kind of censure or disapproval is appropriate, that that person speaks up. You know, so we're not just doormats. We're not supposed to just take everything. You you make your best judgment and you speak up where it's appropriate. And then there's this other teaching that brings in the principles of right speech, that it's said kindly, with a heart of kindness. It's said gently, using gentle speech, not you idiot, but, you know, something that the person can hear spoken in a timely manner so you don't always say it you don't you're saying it in order to actually influence events and be able to be heard by this person right or by by the person yeah by the person you're speaking to so um so there are those teachings on uh, giving of approval and disapproval so you know but it's more complex in in sometimes the way we behave, right? Because we we use it as a tool sometimes to manipulate people, you know, praise and blame. And since we know how effective it is at kind of jerking us around, <laughs> we can use it that way. But that's that's uh, an interesting thing to look at when you're praising someone. Do you mean it? Do you really mean it? You know, or is it praiseworthy, or are you saying it to, you know, get the person on your side, or to you know, mollify them. 
What's your relationship to speaking censure or disapproval when something's going on that you really strongly disapprove of? I don't know if anybody has any comments or thoughts on this end of it. Yes. Well, perhaps this might seem a little self-serving. It's um, in terms of a criticism or instruction. Um, I notice that often we're uncertain what to do with this microphone, and the entire intent of it is that when the recording is made, that the participants' questions are easily accessible to the web audience. And that's the reason why we do it. Right. So attempting to make a criticism of us when we don't use the microphone skillfully, um, that's my attempt here Mm -hmm. to instruct to be useful. Okay. So you're attempting right now to just clarify what's the use of the microphone. Yes. Rather than particularly voicing it as a criticism of anyone who might not have been using it right or something. Correct, because the understanding isn't always here. Right, right, yeah, right. So that's beautiful. That's just simply clarifying in a very objective way what something about a situation that you thought needed clarifying. Yeah, right. Yeah, Maureen. I have something to say about that, too. That's a real charged subject too it's it's so that there's a proper way to use these this particular style microphone versus other style microphones and you sort of speak into them directly but you know we have to confront oh i feel shy i don't it's 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 maybe somebody doesn't speak well into the microphone because it's scary Mm -hmm. or a million different reasons and then it's like oh this is what's going on. Oh, I'm just chicken. You right. know, that it's, right. that it's, there's more to the microphone than just proper usage of the microphone because we have an issue with being recorded or talking out loud or feeling like we're uppity if we, if we, we're heard louder. And it's really sort of neat to have all of those things that you were thinking revealed by, oh, you're just doing it wrong. Oops. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's also, you know, one of the things is uh, how to be at ease with inevitable imperfection in things also, you know. So just keep, you know, keeping things in perspective. It's one of the, th- one of the really interesting things to start. And I'm, I'm not saying that that wasn't appropriate to say. It's just, it was. But it's just that um, in usually in situations involving a, a wish to criticize, say, or to give or to censure, one thing to look at is what is your perspective? You know, one of the major areas of clinging that we talk about in Buddhism is clinging to views and opinions. And under that is a lot of anxiety with the imperfectibility of things, you know, and, and a loss of perspective. It's so interesting to see what happens when we're upset about something or when one of our opinions and views is triggered is that it narrows our perspective and something, you know, tends to become very important and we lose access to uh, the grand scheme of things and other perspectives and so forth. So, 
you know, that is a thing to bear in mind. And it's a thing to see when you're attempting, when you're wondering whether it's appropriate to deliver criticism, is how broad is your perspective right now? That's part of the timeliness question. Yeah. Anything else about speaking out in a praise and blame situation? I don't quite like the word blame. That has a lot of, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's appropriate sometimes, but disapproval or censure someone who's really done something that's harmful to the community or harmful in some way. I think it's important to, again, just as we talked about in receiving it, to distinguish between the activity and the person. You know, so it's part of the wisdom, this wisdom of not some fixed self that is, you know, has fixed qualities of some sort. It's just because a person made a mistake does not mean that they are... a mistake-making type of person. (laughs) We all are. But, you know, there's some way to phrase it that is much more specific to the situation and understanding all the complex conditions that go into a situation and not, not making it into an attribute of that person in your own mind or in the way you say it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that's about what I have to say on the subject. I don't know what I had to say on the subject, but this is all that comes to mind right now. So, should we sit for another another few minutes? <clears throat> Got about ten minutes left. So, just notice if this is stirred up thinking for you. See if you can just notice the state of mind that you're in right now. If you're, if something that's been said has upset you in some way, see if you can just be aware of that and notice it. If it stirred up a lot of thinking, see if you can just be aware of that energy. And come back into your body. Let your attention settle down into the contact with your seat, maybe into your feet on the floor. Take a few deep breaths. And just let it all go for now.
Thank you all. Thank you for your participation in this.